Revelations 1, verses 12 to 2, verses 7. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, <clears throat> dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash on his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word in the Bible, and we ask that you would speak to us again today. Please convict us of the truth of what we read. Please help us patiently endure till Jesus returns. In his name we pray. Amen. How's this for a letter? To us. So, to the messenger of the church in Kenmore, these are the words of Jesus who died and rose again. I know the tremendous start you made, your eagerness to see others join your number, your willing service and welcoming nature. You've grown in number, you've grown to know God better, your understanding of the gospel has transformed your lives and the lives of others. You've resisted the temptation to take shortcuts in ministry, and you've not abandoned the teaching of the Bible. Um, you've given generously both to the work of your church in Kenmore and further afield. But I hold this against you. You've begun to value the things of this world, and you are easily distracted. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. I will never blot out their name from the book of life. Okay, I've completely made that up. But I wonder what it would be like if we found ourselves in chapter 2 or chapter 3 of Revelation, our church, us as a group of people. Keep thinking about that as we look at this part of, the, part of Revelation. Um, chapters 2 and 3, they stand out as the easy part of the book because there's so few images, so not, not much symbolism happening. And so it feels like the easy bit of, the, of, of Revelation to be reading. But don't be fooled because this is actually the most important part of this letter, Revelation. 
these chapters are central to understanding the whole book. I'd go so far as to say um, this is the most important part of Revelation because it gives you the filter through which you'll read everything that follows. The seven so-called letters, they give us some context and they give us the application for Christians. Um, They show where the rubber hits the road with Revelation. Um, What we have in these seven letters are Jesus' words to Christians who are caught in the overlap of the ages. They're words intended to spur on these Christians to patiently endure with their faith in Jesus until he returns. And all the spectacular details of the vision that follows the Revelation, all the stuff that we read as we go on through the chapters, all the symbolism and the numbers, all it does is underline what you've got in this part of Revelation and fill it out and help the application sink home as you realise how big all this is and how serious it is. Last week we saw that reading Revelation ought to be a blessing to us. It's intended to be a blessing to us as Christians as we read it. And it is a blessing. The way it blesses us is as it urges us to have ears to hear. And the way it blesses us is as it encourages us to hold on with our faith in Jesus until he returns. That's the way Revelation blesses us. So let me remind you of a few things from last week. If you um, look back up at chapter 1, verse 1, we're told this is the revelation of or from Jesus Christ. It's the unveiling. It's the revealing of Jesus. This book shows us Jesus for who he really is and all his power and the way that he judges as judge of all the earth. We see his kingdom, his power, his victory and his justice. So this is the revelation of Jesus. It's the unveiling of Jesus, showing us who he is. 1 verse 4, this is the unveiling of Jesus, but it forms a letter. It's written as a letter to real Christians. 1 verse 4, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And you go down to 1 verse 9, we get this glimpse of the world that John and these Christians live in. 1 verse 9, fairly important verse, I think. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. The original recipients of this letter across Asia, um, this revelation, they're companions with John in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of Jesus, but also companions in suffering. And here's John um, incarcerated on the island of Patmos because he's been bearing witness to Jesus. 1 verse 9, they're all part of Jesus' kingdom. 1 verse 10, um, John tells how this letter or this prophecy came about. He was in the spirit in the Lord's day. He heard this loud voice. Um, And in verse 11 it says, he turns around and hears this voice, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. Seven specific churches across Asia. Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we talk about them as the letters to the churches, but you'll notice 1 verse 11, the whole scroll, the whole of Revelation, this record of this vision that John saw on that day, it's all one letter to these seven churches. So point one in the sermon outline, Revelation is a letter from Jesus. These letters in chapters 2 and 3, they're not actually letters. They're introductions, if anything, to this letter that gets circulated among these churches. What we have in chapters 2 and 3, it's the introductions to one letter. And I think these seven churches, they may well be representative of the churches across Asia. So if you look at a map, 
the way he lists them off, he just goes around systematically. They're all in order geographically in this big circle through Asia. I reckon he could have named more churches if he wanted to, but he's named these seven. Um, and did you notice the, the very last verse that was read for us? Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. Each of these little introductions to each individual church invites the people of that church to listen to everything else to the others as well. This is a letter that's, I think, intended for anyone who has ears to hear. Um, if you look at that map, you see it's, it's like this little sample space, representative churches, I would say. And there's seven of them. He selected out seven of them. And you'll see a lot of sevens on your way through Revelation. Um, seven is a significant number. It's the number for completeness, for perfection, for fullness. In Hebrew, the word for seven is the word for Sabbath. Same word, the Lord's Day. So I think you could say this letter, it's really for all Christ's church. And as John records his vision, he's told, send it to these specific seven, as in a sample of the whole of Christ's church. With these seven introductions to this letter, what they do is they help us see how the truth in Revelation will hit home for real Christians by giving us seven examples. Um, and as you understand the way the letter will hit home for each of these seven churches, we need to join the dots and go, yeah, well, that's how it hits home for us. It helps us to apply what we'll read in Revelation. Um, we started our reading today back at 1 verse 2, uh, 1 verse 12, sorry, because verses 12 to 20 set us up for chapters 2 and 3, by showing us the vision of Jesus among his churches. So if you look at 1 verse 10, John's showing, he's in the spirit on the Lord's day, he hears a loud voice, he turns around to see who's speaking, and he sees this spectacular vision of Jesus walking among his churches, represented as lampstands. And I don't know how much you read into lampstands, I mean, is it just you know being a light to the world sort of language in the background, who knows. But 1 verse 13, he's among his churches. 1 verse 20, he has... Angels of the churches in his right hand. And I don't care really how you unravel this image. What you've got is Jesus among his church, among his believers. There's Jesus amongst his people. He's involved. He's got them in his hands, if you like. He's caring for them. Jesus' kingdom, it's begun. His rule has begun. He's gathered his people around. Um, remember 1 verse 9? I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that arouse in Jesus Jesus' kingdom has begun. His people are gathering. He's among his people. He's hanging on to them, wanting them to patiently endure until he returns and his kingdom will be consummated. So when you turn then to chapter 2, then what you have is these little messages to each of the seven churches that have already been identified in chapter 1. The seven messages, they share the exact same structure. So we'll just look at the one to the Ephesians, the first one, the one that Ebony read for us, and join a few dots to the others. They all form the same structure. Um, 2 verse 1, if you look at that, it says, to the angel or to the messenger of the church in Ephesus, right? Now, I don't know whether you want to read too much into the fact that he mentions an angel or a messenger. This is a, a message to get to that church. I'd leave it at that. Um, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. Can you see the connections back to Chapter 1, verses 12 to 20, Jesus among the lampstands. That's intentional. Um, 1, verse 16, holding the stars. 1, verse 13, walking among the lampstands. These are the words of that one. These are the words of Jesus. 
to the church in Ephesus. It's Jesus speaking. It's his words to his church in Ephesus. And you'll see the same thing at the beginning of each of these seven messages. So if you look ahead, for example, at 2 verse 8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came alive. If you look back in 1 verse 17, the first and last, 1 verse 18, he died and came to life. It's just this kind of arty way of saying, here's Jesus speaking these words to this church. And some of you will have all this part in red letters in your Bible. Personally, I find red letters annoying because I think it's all God's word, not just the red bits. But it is handy if you want to work out, did Jesus say this bit? Anyway, this is Jesus' words to each of these churches. Um, it's the same for each of the seven churches. They, echo, they each echo the image of Jesus walking among the land sands, and you're meant to see that. The point is, Jesus is speaking these messages. Back to the church in Ephesus, look at verse 2. Each letter will have a personal bit for those believers. Um, this one goes, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You've persevered and you've endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. You'll find similar encouragement, I suppose, or patting on the back in each of these seven messages, less in some, more in others. And in most of the messages, there's also a correction as well. And so here in 2 verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you fall. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And then we have this invitation if you've got ears to hear, hear. This invitation to listen. Each church is told to listen what's said to the letters to all the churches, the message to all the churches. And then 2 verse 7, um, whoever has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches as a whole, all the churches. Finally, um, there's this word of hope and, or even promise in verse 7, the second half, to, or, to the one who is victorious or the one who overcomes. Um, I will give the right to, to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Each of the seven churches has a similar encouragement or a similar hope in the way that it closes. A hope for those who are victorious, for those who overcome, for those who win the battle, if you like. Each of the seven messages to each of the churches share the same shape. So there's the, it's addressed to the angel of the church in Ephesus in this case. And there's words from Jesus uh, calling back to um, chapter 1, the image of Jesus among the lampstands. There's the, the description of their deeds, followed by praise or criticism. Then there's a warning of the consequences of faithfulness, or faithlessness rather, an exhortation to hear, and then a word of hope to, to all who are victorious. And on that note, at the end of each of these messages, when it talks about hope for those who are victorious, it takes you to the end of Revelation. These letters, they, they, all these messages, hold the whole book together. The end of the seven messages to each church looks forward to images which you'll read about in the last two chapters of Revelation. So in 2 verse 7, the one who overcomes will be given the right to eat from the tree of life. Keep that in mind. Turn ahead to chapter 21. If you look at chapter 21 of Revelation, it goes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Here's John being shown this vision of the kingdom of God, the vision of what everything will be like when Jesus returns. It's a picture that expresses God's kingdom in Old Testament language. It explains it in Old Testament ways. A new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. You understand the Old Testament, you get to appreciate this picture of God's kingdom in the end of Revelation. 21 verse 5, He who has seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then 21 verse 6, He said to them, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You can hear echoes again of 1 verse 17, can't you? Jesus, the beginning and the end. Keep reading. Uh, Revelation 21, verse 6, second half of the verse. To the thirsty, I'll give water without cost from the spring of the water of, of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I'll be their God, and they'll be my children. Can you hear it? This is the promise that's held out in ancient messages to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. If you're victorious... You'll be a part of God's kingdom. And here he's unpacking it a little bit more. This new heaven, this new earth. Can you see how these, these messages to each of the seven churches, this whole revelation together for us, give, a, give us a framework for it. John writes to his companions, 1 verse 9, his companions in the kingdom of God, his companions in suffering and patient endurance. Um, and John's letter from Jesus holds out hope of the coming kingdom of God. There's so much to look forward to. So keep trusting in Jesus. Keep persevering. Have ears to hear. Hear this message. Take it to heart. Stand firm and be victorious. And so as we read on into um, chapter 22, this picture of Jesus' kingdom continues to be painted for us. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the, the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and leaves of the tree um, are for the healing of the nations. There's this bigger than and better picture of the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, pumped up and massive. And jump down to 22 verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They have, may have the right to eat, the right to, to the tree of life, and may go through the gates into the city. There's the end goal included in um, God's kingdom, eating from the tree of life, which way back in the beginning of chapter 2, verse 7, Writing to a church in Ephesus, whoever has ears, let them hear what the church, what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious, to the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. The message, the seven messages to the seven churches, finishes with this hopeful refrain that gets picked up at the end of Revelation as we see God's kingdom in all its glory. The seven messages they pull Revelation together for us, um, front to back. And what they do is they make it a very practical letter by applying it to the Christians in these seven churches. John writes this letter, this prophecy, this apocalyptic vision to Christians who are part of Jesus' kingdom now. His kingdom that's begun, 1 verse 9, but a kingdom that's still to come. The recipients of this letter, they're kind of uncomfortably caught in the overlap of the ages. God's kingdom has come, but it's still coming. Um, maybe this will help. So... Back in chapter 1, verse 9, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours, they're part of the kingdom. As we read this, we've got ears to hear as Christians, we're part of God's kingdom. But we're still waiting, we're still enduring, waiting for it to come. 
Um, if you think about a timeline from the creation to the new creation, you've got the Old Testament and everything you read about in the Old Testament, the old way of doing things. Jesus comes. He dies on the cross. Pays for sin. His kingdom has come in. His kingdom has begun. But we're waiting for Jesus to return. And when he returns, what happens is the old finishes. And so, in the meantime, we're stuck in the overlap of the ages. That's who this letter is written to. Christians who know they're part of God's kingdom, part of Jesus' kingdom. Christians who are waiting and longing for Jesus to return. And the overlap of the ages, it's a turbulent place to be. And it's our time. It's where we are. So in your sermon outline, um, Revelation, it's a letter from Jesus to Christians who are caught in the overlap of the ages. And it's a letter which encourages all Christians to listen and to be victorious. So when you look a little bit closer at these seven messages to the seven churches, these messages from Jesus among the lampstands, it gives you the filter for applying all the visions and stuff that you will see in the rest of Revelation. Um, This letter, this apocalyptic prophecy, this letter called Revelation, it's intended to be a blessing for all who will have ears to hear. Um, We can expect that we'll be encouraged to be victorious, to overcome, to keep trusting in Jesus. And when you look at chapters 2 to 3, you get tastes of how this works. And so for the churches in Asia, um, for example, I take it they're coming into a time back then, a time of persecution. They've already been persecuted by the Jews. You read about that in Acts. Now they get opposition from the Romans as well. If you glance ahead at 2 verse 12, apparently Pergamon was in the centre of Roman worship with with a huge altar to Zeus. It's a place where it's dangerous to be a Christian. So 2 verse 12, you read, To the angel of the church in Pergamon write, These are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. So here's the Christians in Pergamon, already witnessing the death of a believer, being encouraged to to keep trusting in Jesus, to keep battling to live for him. You can see where Revelation will hit home. All the visions have come. Everything John records is meant to encourage these Christians in Pergamon to hang on, and any Christians elsewhere in a similar situation. But we were reading the letter to, or the, the, the introduction to this letter, the message to Ephesus. So come back to chapter 2, verse 2. Have a look at this uh, little message to the church in Ephesus and think about how Revelation will hit home for them. So 2, verse 12, uh, 2, verse 2, rather. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Um, This is uh, the message to the church in Ephesus. But it rings true for other Christians too. Um, In growth group on Wednesday night and in the men's growth group on Thursday, we've been looking through Ephesians. That's another letter to the Christians in Ephesus. It's from the Apostle Paul. It's an encouraging letter showing them the amazing thing it is to be part of God's church, to be united in Christ, Um, urging them to live in a way that's worthy of being called a Christian. But this is John's message to this church. Look at verse 4, 2 verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. 
something's gone amiss in the church in Ephesus. People are wandering. Um, the very thing which Paul says don't do, build each other to maturity so you won't be unsettled. But apparently things have gone a bit messy. Um, if you think about the battle for the Christians in Ephesus, the battle is to keep trusting. When you look at um, the letter which Paul wrote, so we call it Ephesians, we were looking at chapter 6 with the men on Thursday night, the end of the letter, the well-known verses where you've got um, the whole armour of God, that passage. Paul says, um, be prepared to fight, be prepared to stand, put on the whole armour of God um, so that you'll be able to be spared from Satan's flaming arrows. It all comes um, on the back of two and a half chapters in, in that letter of Ephesians of telling these Christians how to live in a way that shows that they're in the light, that shows that they're Christian. Two and a half chapters of telling them to live changed lives and then at the end in chapter 6, Paul portrays it as this, this spiritual battle and he wants them to stand firm, clothed in the armour that Jesus provides. The application of the book of Revelation to the church in Ephesus is much the same. Very much the same. They're to overcome they're to be victorious. They're to stand firm with their faith in Jesus until he returns. And as we read this letter to the Revela uh, this letter called Revelation, and we see this little, little snippet, this message to the Ephesian church, it helps us see how this can be relevant for us too. Because we are in Jesus' kingdom and we are waiting for him to return. So at the start of the sermon today, I, I read this fake letter uh, from Jesus to KPC and said, keep thinking about what Jesus would write to us. Well, you don't have to think about what he would write because you've got it here in Revelation. That's what we're reading. It's Jesus' words to us. Let's pray that we have ears to hear. Let's pray that this amazing letter, this prophetic apocalyptic vision, let's pray that it would be an encouragement for us to persevere, to keep trusting in Jesus. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word in the Bible. We thank you for each part of it. Lord, we thank you for this letter called Revelation, this slightly unusual part of the Bible. Lord, we pray that we would be encouraged as we read it, as we see Jesus ruling over everything and judging sin and victorious. Lord, please help us to be motivated to have our trust in Jesus and to live for him. We pray that as a church, um, we pray that um, we would be encouraged, that we would be standing firm, um, we pray that if we did have a specific letter, that it would be an encouragement one. Lord, we, we ask that you help us to keep living for Jesus in his name.